Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. Two weeks ago, we started into a new sermon series here called Faith Steps, and we've been talking about some of what are the tangible ways that we can grow in our walk with God. And so the first week, we kicked it off by talking about baptism and talking about how baptism is this outward declaration of the inward transformation of what God is doing in our lives. And it's this step of declaring and identifying our lives with Christ and what he's done for us. And then last week, if you were here, Vicki led us through talking about community, how community helps us to grow and helps us to connect with each other and how that connection with each other helps us to grow in our walk with God because faith is not something that is meant for us to live alone. And this week, we're talking about another practice that goes way back in biblical history and is something that carries on forward that we're going to kind of dive into and talk about today. But first, if you've got a smartphone or a device with you, I want to invite you to log on to the YouVersion Bible app and search for Grand Valley, and you can find our event for today. And you can follow along with our message. And there's also, there's three points where I'm asking questions that I want to, I want you to have an opportunity to respond to. And before we wrap up today, we're going to spend some time discussing those questions and your responses. But this whole heart of this series of faith steps is we've been recognizing that if we want to grow in our walk with God, if we want to grow closer to Christ, our outward lives have to match our inward beliefs. Because it's easy for us to choose and say we believe something, but we have to live it out. And if we live something out, well, it's hard to live something out and not believe it. And so that's why we're talking about how do we bring these two things together, our outward lives and our inward beliefs. And so we've been exploring that through the lens of baptism, through the lens of community. And this week, we're talking about this practice of communion. Now, communion is something that goes way back through scripture. It goes way back to the very beginning. In fact, if you go all the way to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis 12, there's this man named Abram who later gets renamed to Abraham. And God recognizes Abraham as someone who is worthy and who's someone who recognizes and worshiped God. And so God picks Abraham and says, your descendants will be my people. And your descendants are going to have this purpose. They're going to have this purpose of revealing who I am, who God is, to the whole world. Now, Abraham's old and doesn't have any kids, and he kind of goes, well, okay, God, this is what you say. But then it takes years and decades until he finally has one child. And he's kind of like, okay, God, where's this great nation you promised? I only have one kid. But over time, you know, that son has a son, and that son has a son. And what happens is the, is the Israelite people start to grow. And it's really just one family still at this point. And a great famine hits the land. And the only place where there is food is Egypt. And the reason for that is because one of Jacob's children, Joseph, somehow through this crazy experience of being sold into slavery by his older brothers, is in Egypt, second in command of the whole nation. And that's the only place where there's food. And so this crazy story happens. You can read about it in Genesis sometime. It's worth reading. Is Joseph and all of um, Joseph's brothers and his father all end up coming to Egypt and living there. Now, 400 years passes and their people grow into a nation living inside Egypt. But this becomes a problem for Pharaoh and for the Egyptians because this nation of Israelites 
is growing and becoming more and more powerful. And so eventually what happens is, is Egypt enslaves them and oppresses them. And so the, all the Israelites are in Egypt, they're being oppressed, and they don't know what to do. Now in this time, God hears them crying out, and he does something. He does something completely unexpected that we would never expect. And this little baby Moses is born. Now at the time, the, Egypt, the Egyptians were declaring that every Israelite boy was to be killed. And so Moses gets put in a basket on the Nile River, and he's discovered by the daughter of Pharaoh. So this Israelite boy gets adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh, by one of the Egyptian princesses. And so he grows up with two identities. He grows up with his cultural identity of being an Israelite, and then he also grows up as part of the royal household of the entire Egyptian kingdom. And Moses is kind of torn between these two identities, and one day he discovers an Egyptian foreman beating an Israelite man, and Moses kills the Egyptian, commits murder, cold-blooded, right in that moment. And he flees Egypt to escape the consequences. He's a murderer. He runs away, he hides, and he becomes a shepherd out in the wilderness of Midian. Now out there, God again does something unexpected. God grabs Moses' attention through this miraculous sign of a bush that's on fire. Now of a fire, as, as you know, we all know, is scary. And if you've been in Brandon you know, and you saw the smoke yesterday, fire is something scary and devastating. Now, if you're in an arid wilderness climate, a bushfire is about the scariest thing you can encounter because it's going to spread like crazy. Now, Moses goes there, and he goes towards this bush that isn't being burning, burnt up. And he can't figure out what's going on, and God speaks to him and says, you need to go back to Egypt and lead my people out of Egypt. You're the one I'm choosing to be my messenger, to go to Egypt and lead the people out of captivity. This is an escaped felon. And God says, it's time for you to go back. And so Moses initially refuses, but then he comes around to it and he agrees. And he goes to Egypt and he goes to Pharaoh and he says, God is telling me to take the Israelites out of Egypt. And of course, Pharaoh, he has this option. He could say, yes, go. But Pharaoh doesn't. He says, no. And Moses tells him, well, God's going to show his power. God's going to do what he's going to do, and he's going to show what's going to happen to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And so what happens is God sends 10 plagues onto Egypt. These 10 plagues come upon them. Now, when we look at this nowadays with our modern eyes, we look at this, this time period of these 10 plagues, and we think, this is awful. This is atrocious. Why would God do this? Now, there's a reason behind it that sometimes we can miss. And the fact is, is that the Egyptians didn't believe in one God. They believed in many different gods. There was, you know, a God of this and a God of that and a God that, that did this thing. And what was happening in these plagues is Yahweh, the Israelite God, our God, was one by one dismantling the Egyptian gods. You know, the God of the river. Well, God turns all the rivers into blood. And the Egyptians realized, wait, our gods can't do anything. And so one by one, these plagues that God sends on Egypt to make them realize that Yahweh is the only true God, the only God with power, happens. Now nine plagues happen and Pharaoh has still not relented. 
And so God decides it's time to do something big. And he gives these instructions to Moses. He tells Moses that all the Israelites are to gather in families. And each family is supposed to take a young lamb and they're, they're supposed to prepare it and cook it in a very specific way for this meal, this special meal that becomes known as the Passover. And this is what God tells Moses. He says, these are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, carry your walking stick in your hand, eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Now, one of the instructions that God gave just before this was he said that as they prepared the lamb in the specific way that he told them, they were to take some of the lamb's blood and sprinkle it across the door frames and on the the fence posts of their houses. They were supposed to do this in a very specific way, and the Israelites did. And the reason for that is we carry on to verse 13. And God says this, But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the Israelites follow what Moses tells them to do. And every one of them prepares this meal. They put the blood on their doorposts. They follow exactly what God tells them to do. And that night at midnight, God sends this plague upon Egypt. And the firstborn child and the firstborn male animal of every household in Egypt, right to Pharaoh's own son, dies. But the Israelites are completely spared. Not one Israelite dies that night. See, God promised he would do this. And finally, Moses, well, Pharaoh actually summons Moses in the middle of the night and says, get your people out of here. Go. Finally, what God sent Moses to do happened. But it happened because of this specific event. And this gets a name called the Passover meal. And as they leave Egypt... Pharaoh actually changes his mind and sends his army after them. And God, again, he parts the Red Sea, lets the Israelites through, and then wipes out Pharaoh's army so they can't come after them again. He protects them again. And then God gives some instructions to Moses. And he tells Moses to instruct the people that every single year, on a certain date, the Israelites are supposed to reenact this meal. And in fact, they gave it a name. They called it the Seder meal where they celebrate the Passover and they would gather together as families and eat this meal exactly the way that the Israelites did when they were in Egypt. In fact, this is a practice that the Jewish people still do today. They remember this Passover, this moment when God did something incredible for them. See, this Passover was done so the people would remember their history, so they'd remember what God did for them. Because as generations go by, it's easy to forget our past. It's easy to forget our history and not realize the extent that God went to to rescue the Israelites. So if we fast forward from the time of Genesis and Exodus and we go all the way to the New Testament, to this time when God stepped into the world, was born as Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes into the world and he spends three years 
with his disciples, traveling and teaching and telling people about this new, deeper understanding of what it can be to live in a relationship with God. And so Jesus has these 12 disciples, and he comes to the time of year when it's time to celebrate the Passover. Now, the religious leaders of the day were getting very upset with Jesus. They didn't like him, what he was teaching. They didn't like the way that he was calling people to repent. They didn't like the way that Jesus was performing miracles and demonstrating that he was God in human form, stepped into the world, that he came with a purpose. And so it comes time for the Passover, and Jesus knows what's awaiting him. He knows that on this night, he's going to be arrested, and he's going to be tried, and the next day, he's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed in this brutal, awful way. So he has one evening left with his disciples, and it happens to be the Passover. So Jesus and his disciples gather together, and they share this Passover meal together. They are remembering and reflecting on what God did in the past. But just like baptism, how baptism was changing something from the way it was practiced to it changed to something new during the New Testament, Jesus changes the Seder meal. Now Jesus makes this change that, that the disciples would have been caught off guard with because they would have grown up doing this meal exactly the same way each time. And now Jesus changes it. And Jesus does this. If we go to Matthew 26, verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for it is my body. And then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Jesus is adding something to this, this Passover meal with this talking about bread representing his body and the wine representing his blood. Now, both of these, he talks about it in terms of it's a sacrifice. He's, he's been trying to cue in his disciples to this for years to share with them what's going to happen. And now he's laying it out clearly that he is going to be poured out as a sacrifice for them, for the whole world. Now the disciples may not have understood everything Jesus was saying in that moment, but they understood their history. They knew about the Passover lamb, how it was the blood on the doorposts that protected them during this time. And now Jesus is identifying himself as a new Passover lamb as a new sacrifice that will save them. See, the Passover lamb back in Exodus at the first Passover granted the Israelites salvation from Egypt, but it was one time. It was only effective that once. But Jesus is doing something now that's about something so much bigger and so much deeper. And there's this this little phrase in verse 28 that, that we can miss where Jesus says, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. God is creating a new covenant in this moment. Now, a covenant is something that is, can not be broken. And in fact, a covenant is really quite one-sided of God saying, I am doing this for you. It's not a contract where there's a side that we have to fulfill. It's a covenant where God is saying, I'm freely giving this to you 
All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is choose to say, yes, that you want this. See, Jesus does something here. In fact, he's changing the Passover from just being about remembering the past to being about anticipating the future. Because he talks about this covenant. That means we're talking about the future. We're talking about what's coming, what's going to happen next. This was all planned. Now, Luke includes one little detail that Matthew kind of forgot to include. And Jesus gives a command, and Paul later repeats this in his letters to the churches, so we know it's true, that Jesus told his disciples this. He said, do this to remember me. The Passover meal was about remembering the past. Now this addition, this taking of of wine and bread and recognizing that it's symbolic of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we, as his followers today, we're commanded to do this to remember him. We're commanded to do this to recognize that what Jesus did wasn't just for that group of disciples sitting around the table. It wasn't just for the people living in first century Judea. It wasn't just for the surrounding area of of Galatia. It wasn't for them. It wasn't just for them. It was for us today too. See, Jesus has become this new covenant And he commands his disciples to repeat it, to remember this sacrifice and this promise of the covenant. See, when we come to communion, this is a faith step. This is a time for us, for every one of us, to look into our own lives and look into our own experiences and our own walk with God and ask this question of saying, do I believe this? Do I recognize that Jesus came to die for me? Do I recognize that what God was doing was something so much bigger than anyone could have understood during that first century? That Jesus came with a purpose to show love, to teach us, to reveal God to us, and to make this path open for every one of us to be in a relationship with Him. In fact, are we able to recognize that God himself was willing to lay down his life for us. That's a big deal. That's a huge step. And in fact, we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to prove that we're worthy or that we deserve this in any way because we don't. This is solely because of God's love for us. We get to just come to God because of what Jesus has done. See, he laid down his life so that we could be set free. The Passover for us, what we have been saved from, is separation from God. What we're given is the freedom and the fullness of living in a relationship with God. In fact, God isn't done there. See, redeeming us into a relationship with him isn't enough. God wants to restore us into the fullness of what he created humanity to be. God wants to restore us into this depth of a relationship with him and with one another that is ultimately what Jesus talked about when he said that there's a thief that comes to kill and destroy, but I come to give you life to the fullest. There's a deeper, fuller life that God has for every single one of us that he's calling us to 
that he's made the path open for us. And communion, this reimagined and reshaped Passover meal, is what calls us to come and remember this, is what calls us to come and confront this once again. Now, I want to ask this first question. It's just a multiple choice, A or B. What do you find easier? To look back at what God has already done in your life or to look forward to what you hope you'll see God do in the future? If you think about this as we come to communion, it's this time to both reflect and look forward. Kind of naturally, which one do you have an inclination to? to you'd rather focus on the remembering the past or would you rather focus on anticipating the future of what God still has in store for us. So you can fill that out at any time, and before we wrap up today, we'll take a look at those responses together. Now, there's one more thing that Jesus did at this, well, well he did a lot of things at that meal. It was kind of his last chance to, to teach his disciples, but specifically referring to communion, there was one more line that Matthew records in his gospel. Matthew 26, verse 29, Jesus said this after he gave them the bread and the wine. Jesus said, mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, this is the moment where Jesus is revealing to his disciples at a deeper level this whole concept of my Father's kingdom. See, Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God being God trying to reshape and transform our world to be come the way that God intended it to be. That all the brokenness of sin, all the brokenness of our failings, all the brokenness of our wounds can be removed and replaced with God's kingdom and the fullness of that. See, this is what Jesus is doing. He's launching into a new era in the world with his death and his resurrection of God's kingdom becoming made real here on earth. Now, it's here, but it's not complete yet. In fact, it won't be complete until Christ returns. But that means that there's a task that God gave the church. And in fact, it's the marching orders that Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection when he told them to go and make disciples of every nation. When he told them to go and to teach everything that Jesus had taught them because it was about redeeming and transforming the world back into a relationship with God the way it was at the beginning. That's God's bigger hope and his bigger desire. This is the mission that God sent his disciples out on, to actually look forward and look out at the world and say, what is God calling us to do? And for us today, sometimes we need to ask that question in terms of, okay, God, what are you calling me to do? What is the specific path or the the role that you want me to have, maybe in someone else's life, to help them come to know you? It's a question that, that we as a church wrestle with often of saying, who do we need to be as a community in order to help people come to know Jesus? Who do we need to be as a community and what do we need to do to bring God's kingdom here into Brandon? So here's the second question. As we come to communion, how can communion inspire us to make a difference in the world? How does communion help us recognize that, that we're not just here to be in a relationship with God. We're actually here and called towards a task and called towards a purpose and a meaning that God has for us. 
See, when we come to communion as a church, different churches and different traditions of Christianity have, you know, slightly different ways of how they practice communion. But the core elements of it are always the same. It comes down to reenacting part of this meal that Jesus had with his disciples. For us, for here, we have the elements. We use grape juice instead of wine, and we have bread. The bread on the silver platter is gluten-free for you if you need that. And how we take communion here is we invite you to come up and to take the elements of yourself and pour the cup for someone else, just as this little symbol of saying, you know, we've been called to serve one another. And so even in this small way, we remind ourselves that as a community of faith, we're called to serve one another. So when you come up, you can take a piece of the bread for yourself and then pour some of the juice for someone else. And we do that symbolically. We do that for a reason. Now, the other way that we practice communion around here is we have what's called an open table communion. That means that you don't have to be baptized or you don't have to be a partner here at Grand Valley. Anyone is welcome to come up and take the elements if you're here. It's up to you. It's a choice that you can make for yourself. So, but communion isn't something just to enter into lightly just because, well, everyone else from my row got up, so I guess I better get up too. If you don't feel ready or you don't feel like you want to, that's perfectly fine. You don't have to. But if you've been sitting here and maybe you've been having questions about who God is that have maybe nagged at the back of your mind and you're like, I don't know if I'm at that point. I think I believe. I'm not sure. I I still have questions to wrestle through. That's okay. But this is one of those opportunities where you could say, is this this point where I want to make that step of faith? And say, you know, yes, I do trust that Jesus is who he said he was. That he came to do what he said he was going to do. And that because of Jesus, I can have this relationship with him. If that's the step where you're at, come up and take communion. And say a prayer as you do and just thank God for what he's done for all of us. It can be a beautiful moment of saying that I'm going to cross that threshold and say I want to enter into a relationship with God through communion. Because this can be a deeply significant moment. And when you come up, I want to invite you to, after you take the elements, don't just consume them right away, but just, you know, if you're with a group of people, you can stand together and pray, or if you want to sit by yourself, that's totally fine. And take a moment and just pray. And thank God for what he did. And maybe one of the questions you can ask God is say, you know, God, what do you want me to do? What is it you want to say to me? What is it you want to speak to me? about growing deeper in my walk with you. And you're welcome to do that. And we have one more thing that we do every time we take communion here as a church is we have what we call our benevolent offering. And we have a benevolent fund that is a separate fund of the church that we just simply use to help people. It doesn't go to any of our our bills or budgets or anything like that. We take 100% of those funds and we just use it to try and care and show love for people. And usually when we do communion, we have those two donation boxes at the back by the doors and we just ask you to, you know, put something in there or mark benevolent on the front of an offering envelope. But we're going to, actually we're going to pass a bag today because many of you and Brandon know what happened yesterday with the fire that happened downtown and and demolished several buildings. And in fact, there's a, a couple in our church, Gerald and, and Kajal, who have been working with a single mother of three kids for quite a few years and have just been helping her in, in some real tangible ways. And this single mom and her three kids lived on the main floor of Massey Manor. So their building, it's still standing, but they don't know the extent of the damage. They were evacuated and they fled and they stayed the night with Gerald and Kajal. 
but it'll probably be a couple days before they can even go in and she can even see if she can, you know, salvage her wallet and get her bank cards back. So today we're going to do something different with our benevolent offering. Usually we give part of it to Samaritan's House or the the 7th Street Health Access Fund has a ministerial benevolent fund that we give some of the funds to. But today we're going to take our whole benevolent offering and we're going to give it to this single mom and her three kids as a way of just saying they're in a point where they need a bit of help. And God has called us as followers of Christ to have an impact in our world. And this is a tangible, real way that affected our city and a family that our church is connected to. So that's what we're going to do when later after we take communion and Nikki's going to lead us in a bit more music when the bags get passed. That's what that's about. So I want to just invite you into this moment of communion to say, come up as you feel ready. And let me just pray for us before we take communion. And I want to invite you to just take a moment to pray as well as by yourself or with the people you're sitting with. But Father, thank you for the, the gift of communion, this practice that is designed to draw us closer to you. Father, I pray that in this moment you would reveal to us how deep your love is how deep your care for us was that you would willfully die and be a sacrifice so that there would be no more barriers between us and you. And Father, this morning as we, as we take these elements, would you remind us of your love and would you reveal to us what you're calling us to? Would you reveal to us ways that we can tangibly build your kingdom here in, this, in, our, in our church, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and in our city? Father, would you just reveal yourself to us in this moment through communion? Amen. So as you feel ready, we're going to have some music playing, some quiet music playing. Um, Come up and take the elements. Communion is this time where we remember what Jesus did, but it's also a time to anticipate what he will do, what he has yet to do in our lives and in this world. And so one of the things that can happen is it's easy when we do something on a regular basis, it can turn into a routine and we can forget its significance. But I want to kind of challenge you to remember the importance and the significance behind so that each month when we, when we do communion together, that it's not just, oh, something we tack on to a service, but that it has a deep significance for why we gather and what we do as a community of faith. See, this whole series has been about this topic of saying, if we want to grow in our faith, our outward lives have to match our inward beliefs. And so maybe this was a morning where our inward beliefs maybe took a step of faith and and grew a bit and challenged ourselves to say, you know, yeah, this is what Jesus did for me. And so I want to celebrate if, you know, if you've made that step, that's awesome. That's great. God is calling all of us into a journey of getting to know him deeper. I want to encourage you to keep walking forward on that. And so there's a last question that I'm going to ask and that you can respond to through the app. And we're going to discuss this a bit together before we come to a close and wrap up. But this third question, how does communion draw you closer to God? Maybe is there something personal, maybe a significance about it where this encourages you. And so Drew's got a microphone somewhere. Drew's going to... And so if you... uh, want to speak up and, and say something, you can do that. We'll get Drew over to you to bring the microphone. But I'm just going to pull up the app. And So this first question we had, what do you find easier? To look back at what God's already done or to look forward to what we hope God will do in the future? And we got a straight 50-50 split. <laughs> I didn't expect that. 
between this, this, these two halves of communion of looking back and looking forward. And so on this second question, I'll just read a couple of the responses and then we'll open it up and Drew will bring a microphone if you want to share something. But how does communion inspire us to make a difference? And there's a response here saying that um, a reminder that Jesus is our hope and our purpose in life and that we are to share this with others. Again, reminding that challenge. And a second one here saying being community with God and with others is a time to remember that it's an open community that we want to bring others into. This isn't just for us or those who are here. But how about for you? How does communion inspire you to make a difference in our world? If you have anything to add, just just stick your hand up and, and Drew will bring a microphone to you. But how does communion challenge us to make a difference? For me, uh, communion is uh, kind of like feeding off the first question. A community, a communion makes me look forward. Uh, so it forces me to to look at it in a sense of not resting on our laurels as a as a community but then pushing forward because there's stuff to do. Yeah, there's, there's more that God's calling us to do. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for adding that, Drew. Any, any other thoughts, comments on this, on this topic? How does communion inspire us to make a difference? Mine's going to tie in the royal wedding if anyone caught it yesterday. <laughs> um, but it's about the love. And when I think of the sacrifice of someone who came and died for me um, and what he was willing to do so that I could have a relationship with God, and then I think, what am I willing to do to also repair broken relationships, whether it's help other people draw close to God or in the broken relationships in my life, life or encourage other people in that way. Um, so that's how I get inspired, and uh, I guess that doesn't answer how it draws me closer to God, except doing those things also does draw me closer to God. Yeah, there's a great little line in there. You said, you know, it challenges us to restore broken relationships. It's not just, communion isn't just about God restoring the broken relationship with us, but do we have broken relationships with others that we need to repair and we need to take a step forward to? How about for this third question? How does communion draw me, draw you closer to God? And uh, two of the responses in here is, you know, reminding me of his unconditional love and remembering what God has done because he wants us to be with him. That's a great little piece. Do we, do we often dwell on that and think that God actually wants to be in a relationship with us? It's not just something he does. He actually wants that relationship. How about for you? How does communion draw you closer to God? Thanks, Drew. Um, there's a, a writer, Anne Voskamp. If people haven't heard of her, she has a beautiful book, many books, one called The Broken Way. She talks a lot about communion in, in The Broken Way and the the good brokenness of Jesus, his body broken um, for the bad brokenness of us. And that brokenness and a broken way is just kind of how the world works. And I think of seeding and the time of year and harvest, everything must be broken before it comes to life. And so when I think about communion, I think about those illustrations of the good brokenness of Jesus and the brokenness that's needed for life within us, within the world, the way the earth moves and (laughs) grows and lives. So I like that picture. Yeah, that's a, that's a good image, that, that piece of, of 
things have to be broken in order to be to restore what already was broken, and that there's a good brokenness that God has. Any any further thoughts on this last little bit before we wrap up? Just toss your hand up, and we'll bring a mic to you. If you don't, that's okay. See, one of the things for me that communion has always had a significance is it's something we, you know, baptism we do once. We do once as this declaration of this is outwardly declaring what God is doing in my life. But communion is something that we keep coming back to time and time again. And it's something that carries a significance for me of of remembering that I need a fresh encounter of who God is. I need fresh encounters of his love and his presence in order for me to keep walking the path that he's laid in front of us. And that's, that's true for every one of us. Is, is our relationship with God isn't a one-time-and-it's-done thing. It's something that we have to keep choosing to lean into, to press forward into, to keep coming back for a, for a fresh filling, for a fresh experience, for a fresh encounter. And so communion is one of those times for us as a church and for, for churches all around the world of saying we recognize this is something we all do because even though, yeah, we have different little things we may disagree on, but at the core, the church as a whole practices communion for the sake of unity and recognizing that every single one of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we live, no matter what we do, we all need a fresh encounter with God. And so communion is this continual faith step that we keep putting in front of ourselves in keep putting in front of ourselves to challenge ourselves to step forward. Now, one thing I just want to touch on quick before we wrap up is that again I said June 24th we're doing this celebration Sunday where we want to have this opportunity to share stories and share testimonies of what God's been doing in our lives. And as part of that, if anyone is willing and at that step where they're saying, you know, I want to take that step of baptism of of making this declaration in, to my faith community of saying, God is beginning a work in me. I, you may not have it all sorted out. I certainly still don't have it all sorted out. But this step of saying that we want to make this declaration of look what God is doing and what God is going to be doing. And so if you're interested in getting baptized, all you got to do is come and talk to myself or talk to Pastor Vicky or any of our elders. If you don't know who our elders are, just ask someone to point them out and they'll point you in the right direction. Just come and talk to us. Even if you're on the fence and you're unsure and you just want to have a conversation, we're totally game to do that. So that's the challenge I want to lay in front of you, is just saying, what's the faith step for you to take? Is it coming back to a fresh encounter of who God is and how he relates to you? Or is it where you're at that point where it's, I need to take that first step of baptism and I need to make this a declaration that matters to me? So let me just pray for us before we close. Father, thank you for all the ways that you call us to you. For things like baptism that are this milestone marker we can place in our lives as part of our spiritual journey. And for communion, this constant peace that we come back to, to remind ourselves of what you've already done and to remind and to look forward to what you are still yet to do. So Father, we just ask that you would challenge us to keep walking deeper in our relationship with you. Would you give us those fresh encounters, those new experiences of growing deeper in our walk with you. And Father, would you open our eyes to opportunities to impact the world around us with your hope and your love, your peace and your grace. Amen.
Have a great week, folks. Next week, we said this was just going to be three-week series, but we're actually tagging an extra week to it. So we're doing one more week of Faith Steps next Sunday. So we hope to see you here. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.